How's it going, gang? Welcome to the inaugural episode of Rock and Roll Shin Shoo Choo. So Shin, buddy, if, if you're listening, uh, more power to you. Keep that on-base percentage up, all right? My name's Gabe Estel. I'm here in Chicago, Illinois on this lovely Sunday evening. I've got my good buddy Jonathan Getz from Kansas City. How's it going, man? Good. Good to see you. And I got my good buddy and my cousin as well, my own flesh and blood, I Leach in Chatham, Illinois. How's it going, DL? Doing good. Good to see you, boys. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for being a part of this journey with me, man. It's just kind of an experiment, you know. We're rolling with it. Uh, we love baseball. We love music, particularly rock and roll. So we thought, why not have a venue to talk about those things? Um, so tonight, <clears throat> we're going to talk about our histories with our favorite teams, um, as well as kind of how we think uh, those teams are gonna are gonna play this this uh, this season this really young season so far, and uh, also we're gonna talk about sort of on the theme of of rebirth or uh, the spring. We're gonna talk about debut albums, so our favorite debut records. And uh, one of the things that when we're going through the trial run of this uh, of this thing, you know, we're gonna try to avoid sort of the superlatives. You know, like we're the the what is the best. Uh, I think all three of us agree that uh, that type of journalism and and that uh, sort of list mentality that's permeated. But uh, we're going to talk about our favorites, you know, rather than the best. So we're going to roll with that. Um, I'll go ahead and start off. Uh, my name's Gabe. I'm a Chicago White Sox fan. And really growing up in a small town in central Illinois, um, my family was really the only family I knew of that liked the White Sox. Um, most, most people from my hometown were Cardinals fans, uh, and there were quite a few Cubs fans as well, but even though the White Sox were in the same state, we've always been, at least in Illinois, kind of baseball outsiders. Uh, not even that many fans necessarily in the city of Chicago, let alone the rest of the state. So I, I grew up as a little bit of a, of a baseball outsider in my community, you know, I, uh, I didn't really have a friend to talk about the White Sox. Uh, other than, you know, my grandfather and some of my family members, my uncles, uh, my dad somewhat. But, um, you know, that was kind of an interesting uh, an interesting period because, uh, you know, I, I was the only kid wearing White Sox stuff, really. Um, and, you know, probably the culmination of, of all my years of patience paid off in 2005, like it did for a lot of people. Uh, really glorious time. Um sandwiched in between kind of some years of mediocrity so uh you know i i really look at this team in 2014 and um <clears throat> i think that we're sort of in we're in a transition mode we're um we're really well equipped i think to be a competitor in 2015 rather than 2014 um Talk about the arrival of some guys I'm really excited about with the White Sox. Um, Adam Eaton is really this kind of, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's, uh, he's really this kind of hard-nosed center fielder um, who uh, we got from the Diamondback system, which seems to produce some good talent. So he is the person that, to me, represents kind of what can be sort of the complete baseball player that I like. You know, I like, I like a leadoff guy. I've always liked a leadoff guy. Uh, I like kind of sort of the grinder mentality. He seems to embody that. And uh, also, um, you know, <coughs> plays a good center field. You know, he's an exciting defensive player as well. 
So he's one of this, these new pieces that I'm really excited about, as well as uh, a guy by the name of Jose Abreu. Um, this guy is is a Cuban slugger. You know, he's been um, he's been projected to hit quite a few homers this year, and I'm I'm not sure if he's going to hit as many as people predict in his first season. But he's definitely going to have some 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 power. And if you've seen him, he's he's just he's ripped. He's just he's a beast. He's a big dude. Um, yeah, big, really sure. big dude over at first base. Um, and in when he was uh, in Cuba, uh, which I, I would have to think I don't follow the Cuban league. I would have to think there's so much baseball talent in Cuba that it's got to be comparable to like triple A at least. I mean, I'm just that's what I'm guessing. Yeah. You know, Um so he put up like RBI video game baseball numbers in Cuba. The dude hit like 32 home runs, I think, in 66 games. Uh, and he was also sort of one of the heroes of the World Baseball Classic last spring. So the, no, there's no doubt the dude can hit. It's just a question of how well is he going to be able to hit big league pitching. Um, so I'm excited about him. That's a, that's another piece. Um, and then really uh, the other the other guy I'm excited a lot about, he, he's not on the team right now. He actually didn't break with the team um, at uh, at the uh, the onset of the season. Uh, is a guy by the name of Matt Davidson. Um, he is a big, another big guy, you know, third baseman, kind of like a Matt Williams type, you know, sort of that big lumbering third baseman. Um, I don't know how how uh, how strong his defense is going to be. But you know he's he's going to be a he's going to be a big power hitter. I like my corner guys to have a lot of pop. Um, so I think that that's the third piece I'm really excited about is this guy by the name of Matt Davidson. Um, so those are the three. Those are the to me like sort of the three guys going forward that I, I really think are going to be the core of this team, um, at least as far as position players goes. As as far as pitching. Um, uh, I, I hate to rub it in, Jonathan, but today, as you as as you may know, uh, Chris Sale um, uh, took care of the Royals. Yep, yep, yep. We Another had a battle of our aces today, and you know, I I got to watch the game, um, and I was excited because really two pitchers that I really love to see pitch in Shields and Sale. Sure, I mean yeah. those are just those are two of the. Uh, I mean Shields has been around a little longer, uh, but two guys that are are really great for the American league central, you know, mm-hmm. to have both of those guys going at it is, is, is a good thing. And, you know, we just, we had uh, we had kind of a late game surge today, but we still lost the series. Uh, Kansas city is uh, certainly uh, a team that's got, got a lot to look forward to. So, um, so Chris sale, you know, um, he's a guy that, um, you know, I look at his mechanics and it kind of frightens me because I don't know if you guys have seen his delivery, he, he really looks like he's going to throw out his arm with each pitch. Um, he's just got like a really funky looking delivery, sort of unorthodox. And I kind of worry about that, especially because he's young. Um, you know, he's he's going to be, you know, our ace. He already is our ace, but he, he, he has the potential to be, you know, one of those sort of pitchers of the decade, really. Uh, he's a lefty. Um, so. You know, he's he's one of those guys that, you know, he could he could throw out his arm or he could win the Cy Young this year. You know, it's possible. So I, I um, I'm excited about him, but it's a little bit of a tentative excitement just because that delivery is just is just it's just weird. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than it's just I kind of I, I just sort of ugh, when I see him pitch, um, I, uh, I, it, it, I it, it excites me and frightens me at the same time. So, I mean, that's that's a little bit of my 
Sox, as well as how I think they're going to shake out this year. Um, man, you know, I think we're going to be better than a lot of people give us credit for. Um, but when I say that, I think that means I think that means third or fourth place. Um, I look at the Twins and I don't see much going on there. Um, you know, there's there's a, a couple. They got the what's that kid's name Buxton, Byron Buxton, I think. Yeah, yeah something like that for the Twins. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. He's anyway. He's he's like one of the best prospects in baseball. So the, they're kind of in a similar position, um, and you know, sort of the, the sort of Joe Mauer is. Uh, you're always on a little bit of thin ice with him, um, with uh, with his with his history of injuries and how how he hasn't really had a lot of power in that ballpark. So I I, I don't think the White Sox are going to finish last, um, but I don't think they're going to finish first either. So I would put them somewhere. I'd put them in third or fourth place. Um, you know, I think. Uh, I'm going to pick Kansas to win that division, probably followed by um, – uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to pick Detroit to win the division, followed by Kansas City very closely. So I, th- I think Detroit's only going to win the division by a game or two. Um, and then uh, and then Cleveland, I think, will be – you know, they'll have a good squad as well. Uh, the White Sox probably fourth and then, and then followed by the Twins in fifth. So I think it's going to be sort of a season of growing and a season preparing for – a competitive 2015. That's how I see the White Sox shaking out this year. Right on. But sort of a mediocre 2014. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I guess uh, you, you look for that individual growth, right? Yeah. Uh, during the year. And then, um, you know, uh, yeah, the Royals, you know, they've been looking for that individual growth for uh, uh, several years now. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and this is, this, it's going to happen though. this year. If, if any, it, now's the time, if ever. You know, for the for Kansas City, right? Yeah, um, and I guess we could use that as a segue. Um, yeah. But uh, so so yeah, I moved to Kansas City about ten years ago, and uh, um, I went ahead and, and decided to kind of um, obviously inevitably follow the Royals as I could uh, go to as many games as I wanted here, and tickets are easy to come by. And um, uh, so yeah, I've been you know watching and and uh, enjoying them like I do a triple any good triple A team, and uh, as they didn't seem like a threat to uh, the Red Sox who I followed since I was ten years old, um, but uh, it, it it's it's always interesting the the build up to uh, this uh, these high expectations and um, where they're at now is is that point of delivering. Um, uh, you know, at least a 91 season and finally breaking this playoff drought. Um, and, uh, you know, and if the start of the season is any indication, it's, it's a bit of the same, um, in that they have no power (laughs) and uh, have yet to hit a home run. Um, and, um, I think it was really important in a way that, uh, their, their, uh, third game with Detroit, uh, was rained out. Because if they came back from Detroit 0-3, um, that would have been, just, I think, kind of devastating for them. Um, would have tainted the, the early part of the season. Yeah, so. I, I think, um, uh, you know, even though it's it's a long, long season, starting off 0-3 is not good for the psyche of a young team. And um, But to come back and then get 2-3 from the White Sox is kind of important. Um, but... Uh, you know that being said, I I, I think um, a lot of people are still really skeptical, and not not just the jaded skeptical, but the realistic skeptical. Um, and uh, if a guy uh, like like 
Hosmer can can hit at least 25 home runs, which they need him to. They need somebody to. Um, or if if you know anybody other than James Shields can can win you 15 games. Um, I think, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot, uh, that, that, uh, is determined this year. And unfortunately beyond this year, I, I, I don't think it involves James Shields. Um, and, uh, I, I, I think, you know, personally that, uh, that they're starting to regret the James Shields trade. Um, I think, Oh yeah. 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 I think they, they weren't a team that should have made that trade. If they were in the hunt for a pennant at the trade deadline, they should have made that trade. Um, but if you ask them right now if they could reverse that trade, I think they would. Um, uh, because you, they're going to go up against Odorizzi this this um, this week, and um, all right, uh, and and Will Myers, you know, last year was was really pretty good, um, and uh, uh, but. And so is Shields, but it, there's no reason to believe Shields is going to be with them beyond this year. And I, you know, this isn't a team that's that's going to um, legitimately compete for a World Series uh, this year. Now, I, I think that they can't compete for a wild card, um, but you know, it's they're going to have to cobble together a lot of hits and a lot of stolen bases and a lot of infield hits and sacrifice flies. Um, yeah. Uh, because they just they they don't have that huge threat that that can turn a game, uh, you know, consistently turn a game into like a you know a six to two or a, or a seven to two game. You know, it's going to be a lot of three one four one five three victories for the Royals. Um, but that being said, you know, yeah, they have a lot of the pieces. Um, I, I you know Billy Butler, I think um, it's implied that he's expendable. And, uh, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, he's going to hit you 40, 45 doubles. Um, and there's a lot to be said for 45 doubles, uh, especially in that ballpark. Um, but, uh, you, you, you need a guy who's going to get you 110 RBI at the same time and, uh, and, and bring those guys home. So, um, uh, but you know, you never. If if he hits twenty, twenty five home runs, yeah, great. Um, he, he's he's worth um, you know seriously uh, uh, considering holding on to for the long term. But at some point, you just, I guess, you, you have to let go and and think about what you need as opposed to you know like um, keeping them for just because you know all the kids are wearing his t shirt jersey uh, at right. the ballpark. So. Um, but you know, Gordon, uh, Gordon's a keeper. Perez is a keeper. Um, uh, uh Moustakis, I don't know. I, it's make or break year for Moustakis. I think, uh, they, Definitely. they can't keep pinning their hopes on potential. Um, especially when it comes to third base. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you need to get at least, uh, you know, 280, 20 and, and, and 90, uh, out of your third base position, uh, you have to to compete. Um, yeah. Uh, in the especially to compete with Detroit and um, uh, to to be able to chip away at Verlander and Scherzer um, uh, over the over the span of an entire season. So, um, yeah. That being said, I I think they compete for the wild card. I don't think they have a serious competition for the World Series. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, th- I think second, second place is, uh, entirely plausible. 
Yeah. I'd slate them in the second place slot as well with um, with them. I'd actually pin them getting the wild card. I would. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think they're going to have one of those wild card spots. So that'll, that'll be good for the fan base. One thing I want to say before we switch over to Levi, you talked about sort of uh, if you could look back, you, you might redo the Shields trade, right? I think that trade that trade was really to send a message to the fan base that we can't rely on prospects forever. We've got to go after a front line pitcher. It was, it was absolutely Um, like, and that, that, that's, and and that's how I explained it when I tried to endorse it, uh, when it happened. And I think the lesson learned is that you shouldn't listen to fans. (laughs) I don't, um, (laughs) I, uh, you know, if, if, uh, your, your GM is just, uh, uh, consensus of uh, uh, you know a, a metro population of two million people, then you're going to get um, some really uh, um, average decisions being made. And um, I think uh, I think you need somebody who sticks to his guns. And they had a lot of um, you know I'm sure that they've had a lot of offers to trade away young talent for veterans over the years and they haven't done it and they finally did it and and brought in a guy like shields and yeah there is immediate gratification from that but um long term i think now the fans understand oh maybe uh maybe you know that we weren't thinking long term even though you know they're just like we want a winning season we want a winning season and the gm's like well i want more than a winning season i want to put ourselves in a position to go deep into the playoffs and and um, uh, James Shields alone doesn't take you deep into the playoffs. Right. Good points all around, man. Yeah. Well, yes, Levi, let's kick it over to you, my brother. Yes, my name is Levi Leach, and uh, I am a diehard Cubs fan uh, some days, unfortunately. And uh, born and raised in the Midwest, uh, born and raised a Cubs fan always. All my family's a Cubs fan. Um, this year also kind of like Gabe mentioned, I, I think maybe the Cubs might be good in 2015 or 2016. Uh, maybe not so much this year though. Uh, they did get a win today. Um, and it, our pickup from the from you, I think, Jonathan uh, Emilio Bonifacio. Is, yeah, he's tearing it up. A, he's a stud. <laughs> tearing it up. It's like so, yeah, in like, the first week of the season. Yeah, if yeah, he's on your fantasy team. You're rocking. <laughs> I know. So, um, but other than that, it's a lot of young guys and um, a lot of un untested guys, and you've got Rizzo and Castro, two guys who are definitely having a year where they need to prove something. And um, there's a lot of young infielders coming up. So uh, I think it's definitely keys to the season for the Cubs are going to be how those two guys do, um, how the starting pitching holds out. Um, I don't know if Zamarjo is even going to be there at the you know middle of the season or so after. Who knows? Um, the nucleus of all the new coaches and the new players are going to have to get together and gel. And it's definitely one of those seasons where it's a rebuilding experience. And, um, the new coach Rick Renteria is, uh, kind of a more soft spoken guy and we'll, we'll see how that plays out in the clubhouse. And, uh, he is Spanish speaking. I know that was one of the big reasons they brought him in was to be able to talk to a lot of the other players, 
And um, I mentioned before, I think uh, Tom Ricketts and Theo Epstein are looking through their old Diamond Kings to get our managerial staff because <laughs> we now have Chris Baccio as our pitching coach and uh, Bill Miller as our hitting coach. And a fun fact I didn't realize about Bill Mueller was, I guess, uh, for four or five years, he was like Mr. Consistency. His average was like 290 to 295 for like five years, basically. <laughs> and so that's what I think they're hoping yeah. to bring in is someone who can like somehow get some consistent hitting going for the Cubs. And uh, we'll see how it works. Today they actually did get a few hits and even a couple with people on base. So it was, um, I think, just a, a showing of things to come. It's a, a young season, a young team. They got a lot to work through to to get to any kind of, I don't want to say like a milestone, but it, they're going to have to put together a bunch of wins before the, I think they could feel better as a team um overall in playoffs obviously not i would say the cubs <laughs> nah. uh, last in the division second to last and um last year we had 66 wins and so i mean on on paper i would say we're not as good as a team as we were last year but you know i would like to i guess have more than 66 wins, but who's to say if that's going to happen? Um, yeah, that that would be my experience with the Cubs this year. I mean, both Chicago teams basically have to just hope for more wins this year. I mean, the playoffs are Absolutely. out of the question for either team. They both just have to have to have to play better than they did last year and work with sort of these new pieces. Um, one thing that Levi mentioned, a, a guy that Levi mentioned at the beginning of his um, his monologue was Starlin Castro. And we've, and I don't think our player has as much upside as Castro. Our Starlin Castro on the south side is Gordon Beckham. Uh, um, Gordon Beckham, despite having a beautiful mane of hair, um, is... Uh, <laughs> It's been a disappointment, you know, I think a, a, a really big disappointment to a lot of White Sox fans. He was one of our highest draft picks in quite a while. He was picked, I think, I think in 2008 at pick number eight. So he was a top 10 draft pick. Because um, the White Sox usually, you know, we had we had a lot of third place years. So, you know, we were always picking sort of in the middle of the pack or something like that. Um, so Gordon Beckham has been our Starlin Castro. And I say that because... We've hung a lot of potential on him, and we brought him up early. And also, but though the thing is, he's regressed, and you've seen that with Castro as well. Absolutely. You saw this, you saw this big splash right away, and and the fan base rightfully got excited. Um, but last year, just major back for Castro. I mean, he looked a little lost out there at times, um, and and we've experienced the same thing with Beckham. I think he's more injury prone than Castro. And that's played a role, certainly. But both of those guys, you know, the, the both of those guys, middle infielders, um, both of those guys really have make or break years this year. And Beckham's already hurt. You know, he hasn't uh, he he hasn't even suited up yet, so he's he's already hurt. So uh, so for me in Chicago, the, the spotlight's going to be on on two on those two guys this year um, on the south side and then on the north side because I think uh, if it doesn't pan out after this year. 
I certainly think the White Sox are going to move on. The Cubs probably have a little bit more time with Castro just because he is a little bit younger. Um, I don't know yeah. if if Castro doesn't pan out this year. I don't know if they if they if they get rid of him. I don't I don't see that happening. Um, uh, but he's got he's got a two year window to prove himself. I think Castro does. Yeah, I think, I, Beckham's, it, I think Beckham's got a one year window. I just yeah, you hate to see players fall by the wayside because they were brought up too early and they don't have enough experience. And like you said, a lot of times, I mean, they will, as soon as they get up, make a big splash like Anthony Rizzo or last year, junior Lake, the Cubs called up and he Mm -hmm. was a monster for a week, you know, but they, you know, it can only do so much to put a, a short spark into the, into the team or to put a few people into the seats for a short amount of time. The development of these players is what needs to be brought to the forefront and needs to be the 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 main goal here. And a lot of times at Wrigley Field, it's get the kids out on the field as soon as they can. Yeah, a lot of fan bases don't have patience. You know, fan bases are fickle. Um, they 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 want to see it happen right away, and especially if your teams have struggled, as all three of the teams we're going to discuss they kind of have you know in recent years um you know the 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 fan bases are going to get restless and that that time for people to to develop um they're not going to be as patient so you've seen that uh manifest in kansas city chicago and and chicago so Mm -hmm. groovy groovy um well one of the things that that we've wanted to do with this show um to make it more than just a baseball show um we're all music lovers you can see levi's extensive collection of vinyl right behind him if i'm not mistaken that looks like a kentucky headhunters lp i got a i got a couple debut records uh, behind me we got the first uh kentucky headhunters and the first government mule record over here so oh nice 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 so we're going to talk about rock and roll quite a bit. I mean, all three of us are avid concert goers. Um, you know, we, we grew up together. So we grew up, I think, with a lot of the same musical experiences. You know, all of us got into a lot of the same bands at the same time. Uh, you know, we're all we all we have our favorites, certainly. And probably as the podcast goes on, people are going to learn what bands all three of us like. Um, but I hope to reveal a little bit more than that. You know, I hope to I hope to throw some wild cards in there, you know, so. I can learn something that Jonathan I didn't know about Jonathan maybe that he likes or something that Levi Diggs said I, I wasn't really I wasn't really aware of. So um, to put it to put it bluntly, we're not going to talk about Pearl Jam the whole time. Right. Um, so though we could if we wanted to. About, we could. <laughs> we could. We very much could. But uh, we're not going to do that. That's another podcast. What, what we want to do. What we want to do during this first episode is really um, in sort of in in conjunction with the start of the baseball season kicking off just just a week ago uh we want to talk about our favorite debut records and as i mentioned earlier we're not saying these are the best debut records of all time but they're we're each going to share three of our favorites talk a little bit about what makes them unique why we dig them um uh, and these might not even be like three of our favorite artists you know i mean some of these albums that we share um these are just these are just really great debut records, and I want to talk about that. So we're each going to share three of them, um, and you know we might do a little bit of back and forth as well. You know, I, I, I know these are these are. I think we're all going to share records that all of us have heard, probably. Um, you know, we might not be as familiar with them as as the, uh, 
as those who who, who list them and share them. But uh, I w- I'll go ahead and start, and uh, I'll let you guys sort of riff on that as well. Um, I'm going to go with my three first, and um, my first, <clears throat> and I'm going to say this because there was some news earlier this week that the original, the bass player, the original bass player from this band is filling in some shows in South America for the current bass player who the current bass player of this band actually happens to be the bass player for one of my other favorite bands. Um, I'm talking about Guns N' Roses um, and Guns N' Roses has been, as you guys know, for the last really ever since the mid nineties has basically sort of been Axl Rose's sort of project. That's this thing that's sort of shape shifted a bit. A lot of people going in and out of the band. Um, but uh, I, I want to talk about their debut record. Uh, you know, really, it's it's their defining moment. Then it happened almost 25 years ago now. Um, or it happened over 25 years ago. Uh, Appetite Destruction. You know, I'm uh, this, this album to me is just a collection of kick-ass songs. Start to finish, the songs are amazing. Um, I remember when I was when I was young, I saw the Welcome to the Jungle video right when it emerged. And um, I could tell that these guys were different. You know what I mean? Like I was being fed at that time a lot of a lot of poison, a lot of docking, a lot of, um, you know, uh, the Bullet Boys. These really, you know, that we all those sort of the Aquanet type bands Um which I think produced a lot of fun music. It wasn't music that had a lot to say, but then Guns N' Roses came along and they really, they had musical chops. You know, they were, they certainly got lumped in with that crowd, but they were also sort of giving the finger to that crowd at the same time. Um, And they put out a very sort of, I hear a lot of Rolling Stones influence on Appetite for Destruction. Um, You know, the, the, the riffs are great. And I really, I think the unsung hero of the album is a guy by the name of Izzy Stradlin, who is uh, is really I'd go as far as to put him as one of my favorite favorite rhythm guitarists of all time. Um, to me, he's one of the closest things, and he certainly didn't have the long the longevity. And that's that's all due respect to Izzy. The guy still makes music. You know, go buy his albums. He's you know support him. Um, it was I think it was the closest thing we've had in rock and roll to really like Keith Richards type riffs, you know, I mean, Izzy could, Izzy could write just an amazing riff. Um, so to me, he makes that album without the, without Izzy Stradlin appetite for destruction would just be, would be sort of a mediocre album. Um, but you put Izzy in there and, uh, and he, he, he puts it over the top and it's just such a col- great collection of songs. Uh, rocket queen is probably my favorite on the record. Probably my favorite GNR tune as well. Great song. Um, you know, Mr. Brownstone um, is great as well. You know, it talks about the, the 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 slummy brownstone apartments in West Lafayette, Indiana, is what that song's about. Um, and I, I love you know, Welcome to the Jungle. Obviously, I know it's a song that's been overplayed, and it's you know, it's played when sports teams come out and things like that. But I'm sorry, I don't turn it off when it comes on the radio still. It's one of those songs. Um, just the opening number, just the da-da-da-da-da. You know, it's just, ah, oh, it's good. It gets me, it, it gets me excited. 
So, um, so Appetite for Destruction is one of my favorite debut records, and 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 really one of my favorite records of the 1980s. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a Stones record, um, but for the Sunset Strip, you know, that's that's kind of what it was for. So, uh, Appetite for Destruction, um, and then. One of my second favorites, I don't know, you guys might not know this um, about me, but um, Never Mind the Bullocks by the Sex Pistols. Uh, also one of my favorite debut records. It is also um, a record that is, like Appetite, sort of bluesier than a lot of people, I think, give it credit for. Um, I look at songs like uh, Submission, um, just a killer tune, and also I think as well, uh, Paul Cook could write some amazing riffs. Like Paul Cook's, Paul Cook's an underrated guitarist. Um, he, he's he's that album is, is is much bluesier than people give it credit for, and I think one of the best opening tracks ever in Holidays in the Sun. Um, I just love the uh, the sort of the foot stomping and the hand clapping, and just uh, uh, you know Paul just really just sliding down the neck there. He's just ah, the guy's so good. Just Paul Cook is uh, is uh, is there is he straddling, and um, also you know another band that you're only you only really think of one record i think when most people think of guns N' roses they think of appetite for destruction you know don't get me wrong user illusion was big but it was bloated so um so never mind the bullocks though it was really is really the sex pistols only record i mean they put out like there's like sort of rarities and b-sides that came out and live recordings but it's it's their only record um and it's uh it's it's a damn good one and it's uh it deserves to be mentioned i think in in, in some of the best debut records of all time. Uh, my last one is certainly, you know, it's a sentimental choice, but it's also, I think the music holds up and I don't, I don't necessarily know if the latter part of their career holds up and they've certainly been in the news lately more for fighting with each other over the rock and roll hall of fame than they have any music that they've written. Um, but yeah, one of my other favorite debut records is the first kiss record. Um, to me, uh, and I, listen, I, I can tell why I, I know why people hate Kiss. Uh, I, I, I'm, I know that uh, Kiss isn't everyone's cup of tea, so to speak. But to me, that first Kiss record um, is much like a New York Dolls record, you know, more than it is um, a later Kiss record. Uh, it's those early Kiss shows with their energy. They were sort of like the New York Dolls in Kabuki style makeup. You know, that's that's kind of what they were. If you guys hard you know, go on YouTube, what's that? What's they were that? like a hard a hard glam band. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were like a harder a harder glam band. Really, is what they were. Absolutely. Uh, and those first the first record in particular, the debut record, uh, such great songs on there. You know, Deuce, uh, Cold Gin. They also do this love theme from Kiss, which is this, you know, sort of sort of thing that they do with uh you know they've got sort of some zeppelin like flourishes on it even at times um so they were trying to find their identity but i think in sort of trying to find their identity they might have put out their best record they still play a lot of those songs live um and really they were they were really four kids from new york who were hungry and you know they weren't really uh they didn't become you know art house favorites they wanted to take over the world you know that's what they wanted to do um and for a brief period in time, they really did. Um, so, I think the first Kiss record is uh, is 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 one of the best debut records, and I think it shows a time when Kiss really had 
the substance down rather than just the style. And I think as the seventies moved on, you know, Kiss's music, I think became, you know, overproduced, um, too bombastic. Um, obviously Gene Simmons, just stadium size ego came in to play. Uh, you know, Peter and Ace certainly had their problems. Um, but this was a moment in time where you had really four guys who were broke. Uh, they loved the New York Dolls. They loved they love Sweet. They love Slade, and they took those influences, put on some makeup, and just made a really kick ass rock and roll record. So I'm going to go with Kiss as my uh, as my final final selection. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to think that Kiss might not make yours, but I want to hear yours anyway. No, I, I can. Well, I, I can respect the kiss. Um, uh, I I will go in a different direction. Um, and uh, to start, you know, when you we're talking about debut records, I, it got me thinking about um, uh, you know albums that I reach for just as consistently as any other album in that band's catalog, and um, that is um, it's not as as uh, common as I thought it was um, uh, with a lot of my favorite bands. You know, I, I don't reach for the first Neil Young record um, that often, even though he's, you know, he's my favorite songwriter. Um, I don't reach for the first Wilco record because, you know, no. it's just, it's, it's no. a different band almost. Um, and, uh, uh, and so as a result, you know, I, I had, I was really trying to think about that in a different way. And so, you know, a guy like J.J. Kale um, was somebody who was really consistent from um, uh, from his first record to his last record. Um, he did have some, you know, uh, some flourishes in between. Um, and uh, but, you know, his his first record naturally is, uh, you know, right up there with some of his best stuff and uh, has, you know, some of his uh, most most memorable songs on there. And 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 as a you know, he's a songwriter who doesn't get recognized for um, uh, uh, the songs that people know, you know, uh, like Call Me the yeah. Breeze. And um, um, but his tone on there was just I mean, it was dead on. And um, there was no like figuring out because a lot of bands um they're they're kind of these um uh, they're they're figuring out their their production style more than the even just as much as their songwriting uh when they're releasing that first album and and some of the band's production style um doesn't really match or d- doesn't quite um get to you know how good it's going to get in hindsight uh but jj kale's production style has always been lo-fi so it was easy to reach that um right away and I mean, just the groups of musicians that that are on that album um, uh, kind of speak to his um, his approach to music throughout the years. Um, and uh, and so and yeah, JJ Kale is just somebody I've I've always really respected, um, and uh, through his whole his whole career. So, um, but uh, uh, in addition to that, um, was kind of an, another album from the seventies. Uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers first record and um, uh, the uh, you know again I mean they were uh, talk about production I mean they were setting new production styles with that with the recording of of, of the kick and and the and the snare and uh, establishing um, uh, styles of recording that would be used um, and abused uh, for the next 10 or 15 years at least um, definitely throughout um, some of the eighties and, um, but nobody could quite capture those sounds, uh, like they did. Um, 
and and yeah, I mean that, that album's creepy too. Um, uh, really, yeah. really dark in, in some in some areas. Sure. Um, uh, but you know, I, I, you, you talk about uh, "Welcome to the Jungle." You know, if, if Breakdown's playing on the radio, uh, you know, I won't I won't turn that off because uh, uh, it's it's just got this vibe to it that doesn't wear out. And um, uh, even now, you know, when he's performing it. Uh, over the last ten years, um, it, it's uh, it's he's expanded it a bit, and it has still has that creepy vibe, but um, it's it's evolved Very at the same time. Song. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and just yeah, that that Mike Campbell guitar riff um, throughout it, just uh, like kind of high on the fret there. That those those hammer ons, uh, uh, yeah, ne- ne- never get tired of those. Um, uh, but uh, and then. My my third one's a bit more obscure, and I have a picture. Um, I, I brought it um, so that I could I could plug it, but um, it's uh, Jim Sullivan, and uh, um, it's called UFO. And uh, Jim Sullivan was a um, uh, a songwriter in L.A. Um, who had no acclaim at all. Um, uh, uh, he was just trying to make ends meet, and um, he recorded this record. It didn't go anywhere. And he he ventured out to um, he decided he would try to go to Nashville to be a country uh, songwriter and make his living that way, like a lot of people do. And um, uh, but on his way out, he essentially went missing and he was never found. Um, uh, he, he went missing in the desert um, was the last place that the, I think he, it was recorded. He was seen. And um, and and so it kind of adds to this um, uh, uh, to this to the songs on here because they are about, um, uh, you know, it's called UFO. There's a song in here called UFO and it's about UFOs. <laughs> I'm not saying he was abducted, but I'm saying it's just this idea of like mysterious circumstances. You know, there's another song called highways. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's creepy in hindsight and that kind of can kind of cheapen it a bit because obviously this guy didn't know he was going to go missing in, in the desert. Um, but, uh, yeah. and, and this was only, uh, recently discovered, um, uh, rediscovered, I should say a few years ago and, uh, re-released, um, or given the first proper release, um, that it's What's ever the label? Had. Um, it is, uh, Light in the Attic, um, I believe is, yeah, Light in the Attic Records. I'll have to check it out. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. I'm definitely into stuff like that. I mean... Another guy who kind of has a weird story back mystique is Nick Drake. Oh yeah, and, a, and a, you know, it's very cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. Thanks yeah, for yeah it's, that. And as far as I know, it's his only recording. Um, cool. So, um, kind of a different angle on, on that thought um, as far as debut records go. But, um, but yeah, definitely check it out. I guess it was originally he recorded it in '69, and then they re-released it in 2010. So, um, there's a pretty good NPR story on it as well about the guy who dug it up and and um, and pushed to get it re-released. Um, so yeah, yeah, those are my three. Nice, the very good three, Jonathan. Uh, I, I definitely like the the Tom Petty for sure, as you mentioned. That album basically created the Sound City sound that later made that studio famous. Uh, they they owed oh, yeah. a lot Definitely. to Tom Petty for sure on that. Definitely. And um, well, my three favorite debut records um are a whole hodgepodge uh, mix. And the first one, I wish I had it on vinyl to show you, but I don't. Um, it's Blind Melon, the first Blind Melon record, and. 
I bet I still listen to this album once or twice a month. Really? And wow. I, for some reason, hearing these songs take me to like certain places in my mind, and I don't know why, but I, you know, certain things are that you hear can take you to, you know, when you were a teenager, you know, that summer moment you remember or something. And I definitely get that from that record. And, um, I, I've always thought they were kind of underrated as musicians, especially because Chris Thorne was a multi-instrumentalist and, um, yeah, Brad Smith had killer harmony backup vocals and, uh, you know, the drummer's always in the pocket and, and they had the, prerequisite 1990s like crazy lead guitar player and um that that record means a lot to me and um i think a lot of people just kind of know them as almost like a spin doctors type of act yeah. you know you know they 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 hear no rain and that's you know that's no rains on their 90s compilation cd after little miss can't be wrong and so <laughs> Uh, I feel that that's kind of cheapened their legacy, but I just saw them with their new lead singer last summer, and I have to say, man, it was if you closed your eyes, it sounded a lot like the original Blind Melon, and and it was just so neat to be able to go to a concert and feel the connection with those songs because they basically played the whole record because, as you know, their catalog is not very deep, and so. It, it was a neat bonding experience with a band that I, I cherish, and I cherish that first record of theirs. And the second favorite debut record I have is by a band out of Canada called the Sam Roberts Band. It's called We Were Born in a Flame. And how I actually first heard about this record was uh, a random night. I was home. I had gotten home probably from either playing or being at a bar and it was like three or four in the morning, and it was back when MTV2 just played music. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but they had a video they made for a song off this record called you know Brother how, Down. Let me interrupt you for one second. You remember how we used to say, hey, you guys remember when MTV played videos? Now we say, hey, do you guys remember when MTV2 played videos? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right? right? Our expectations keep getting lowered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> MTV8, the Ocho. <laughs> And so they had a video they made for this song on here called Brother Down. And it was my first introduction to them. And it's got like a sparse guitar riff. And um, the song kind of deals with the world and the environment and just, you know, um, people and relationships and how, you know, the world's maybe not as friendly a place as it once was. And for some reason, that video, and it was a video of just, uh, I believe it's Sam Roberts and another guy on like a small canoe or a kayak in the middle of the ocean is the video. And then finally at the end, like they get into a fight and like, you know, they get pushed over the side of the ship and it kind of, you know, builds in, in climax with the song. And so I checked it out and... It, the record is great. It's one of the better, I would say, unheard of debut records of the 2000s. And um, just chock full of great guitar riffs, great songs. Uh, I know both of you guys would really enjoy it. Um, he just seemed like a normal, cool Canadian kid from the 80s. There's like a song about riding his bike and going to the store to buy hockey cards. And just... Um, 
just really neat songs about life. If he's got and, any uh, songs about Rush, I'm in. All right. <laughs> right? Well, he's definitely got some, um, some like, harder rock tendencies. And he's made a few records since then, this first debut. And um, I would say maybe they're not as um, maybe Americana sounding or, uh, I don't know, singer-songwritery as this first record is. But um, it's definitely a really, really good debut record. I recommend it to everybody. And then my um, last debut record is from a band that, as Gabe mentioned, one of his favorite bands was Tearing Up the Sunset Strip. And this band, The Doors, they were one time the darlings of the Sunset Strip as well. A different time and a different place for sure. And um, this record means... A lot to me just because they were one of the first bands that were I don't know kind of like gave an F you to the to the recording industry to the to the music industry Jim Morrison was completely insane you know <laughs> but in a good way and um it, yeah they weren't Herman's Hermits by any yeah it, it, I'm gonna go through these <laughs> track listing and all these are almost all classic door songs you know oh, yeah. break on through soul kitchen crystal ship 20th century fox which is probably one of my favorite door songs Alabama song light my fire backdoor man I looked at you into the night take it as it comes and then the the magnum opus the end which is one of the most insane ways to end a debut record. If you, if you go back and still, you listen to that song, it still sounds as crazy as the first time you heard it. You know what I mean? It, it, um, it it takes you to a dark place and that's hard for a lot of bands to do on their debut record. Um, they're obviously not an underrated band or, you know, and I'm sure that record has been on a lot of debut album favorites, but, um, I, I definitely like it as an introduction into that band for sure. I think it's, it's a very well done album. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all great selections guy man i really so much fun to hear all those um and i believe i look forward to hearing more about the sam roberts band i've heard of them um but i haven't really listened to them yet so i'm gonna put those definitely check out that first record uh, man it's a very good introduction later this week cool cool you know i think um among all the groups that we that and music that we mentioned you know we mentioned a lot of i mean obviously the doors were a big band appetite for destruction was a huge record uh, but we mentioned a lot of underrated players in there. You know, Jonathan mentioned Mike Campbell to me, who's just he's one of my favorite guitarists. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been one of the Mike most important Campbell songwriters of, those... of the last 30 years. <laughs> yeah, M- Mike Campbell is one of those guys that even though he's in a huge band, he should be a household name. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Mike Campbell is is Mike Campbell's the shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know how else to put it. Yep. Um, you know, and I, I mentioned uh, I mentioned uh, Paul Cook from the Sex Pistols. A guy who certainly hasn't really, you know, didn't maybe have a, the most prolific career, but a guy I think is really underrated as a guitarist as well. You know, like one foot in blues, one foot in punk. Um, and then uh, and also I mentioned Izzy Stradlin as well. And then uh, Levi mentioned all the guys in Blind Melon that I think uh, I think, you know, I, in my opinion, you know, two of the, one of the best guitar combos of the of the 90s 
in uh, Roger Stevens and, and and Chris Thorne. Yeah, I mean those guys is a great interplay between those two and and Chris Thorne was one of those guys. Like he he plays the mandolin and stuff, right? As mm-hmm. well, I think. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, he's a multi instrumentalist, really really talented cats there. And um, I uh, I certainly cringe as well when I. I mentioned that I like Blind Melon, and and some people just dismiss them as this one-hit wonder band. Um, it's 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 unfair to them, and uh, it also shows you sort of how, unfortunately, how fickle you know tastes can be, and how oh, yeah. uh, how sort of sometimes you know our our moment in the spotlight isn't that long, it isn't as long as it should be. Mm-hmm. So uh, so absolutely, yeah. I I actually had the chance to meet those two guys. Um, small side story: it was at Bonnaroo, and um, it was the smallest stage at Bonnaroo. And this van pulls up, and these kids come out, and they basically look like kind of like Kings of Leon, you know, long hair, straight off like the Leonard Skinner tour bus, bell bottoms, boots, the whole <laughs> works. And I'm like, man, those guys look like they could potentially be good. And out right behind them walked Brad Smith and Chris Thorne. And lo and behold, it was the band American Minor, which they had just produced their record. And it had just come out. And they were like, I, you know, I was awestruck. And, you know, I, you know, talking to them and was saying, you know, I'm a huge fan. One second, guys. I got to keep going. They... They basically were very kind and answered some of my questions about gear, about Blind Melon, and they told me to stick around and that I would enjoy American Minor, which I did. And I would say they were probably – it was tough not to pick them as my, one of my favorite debut records. Sure. Um, if you haven't – I don't uh, – Gabe, you've heard American Minor, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, really great. I, I was telling Getz, I, it was hard not to pick that as one of my favorite debut records. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because I'm really, really partial to it, it, they they had such a great sound that you know, and they weren't even they didn't even get a chance to be a one hit wonder. Really, you know, it was like they were such a yeah. flash in the pan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I always felt bad because it was almost like those guys in Blind Melon got screwed twice. Is how I felt <laughs> right. about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was like, yeah. damn, man, they had a, a shot to like take this this band to the top and, you know, instead, you know, Kings of Leon or Mumford and Sons or somebody else, uh, you know, got popular, not them. Yeah. 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 That's funny. You mentioned that because um, uh, the closest I came to meeting a uh, member of Blind Melon was I actually went to Shanahan's grave, um, which is located where? In West, West Lafayette, Lafayette, Indiana. Yeah. There you go. Full circle. Second, again. second West Lafayette reference of the There day. you go. Yep, I, I did that for you. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Well, boys, excellent work. Um, you know, I had fun. Yeah. 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 Definitely absolutely. good times, man. Absolutely. We will do this again next week. You know, we'll talk later in the week about kind of our homework assignments and what's going to be the focus of next week's show. So, uh, you know, first episode of Rock and Roll Shinshu Chu is, uh, is so rock and roll and uh, enjoy yourself, guys. Have a have a great week. OK, right on. Yep. Thanks. Good to see you later.